Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. Things we 
see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So in that verse, it's explaining that instead of living our lives focused on our situation and the things that we think that we can change, we need to focus on the Lord and his plan and everything that's going to be ahead because the situations that we're in now don't matter. Five years from now, I'm not going to go, oh, I didn't get the shoes that I wanted. The world is ending. My life is horrible. But those are things that are a big deal when you're in high school and a teenager. And I lived for a long time focused on my situation. I was full of anxiety. Um, I honestly was depressed. I just didn't. I never knew what was going to happen the next day. And that is not me because I'm very much a planner. Um, my family is a little bit different. Um, I lived with my parents until I was 14. I have three siblings, and my parents were married until I was 15. And so when I was 14, I um, moved in with my aunt. My I had people in and out of my life the whole time that I was growing up, moving in and out of my house. And they were usually drug addicts, drinkers, um, atheists, like that would just try to like bully us. Like we'd be doing Bible trivia as kids, and it was just, oh, well, that's, like, that's stupid, that's fake, like, things that, I mean, you would think that you wouldn't say to a six-year-old, but that was just how I grew up. Uh, my parents spent a lot of time drinking, and not as much as I physically had to take the role, but I put it on myself to take the role to be the reliable person for my siblings. Um, I was the oldest, and so I just assumed that that was my position, and that's just how my life was. And so I moved in with my aunt and uncle because the stress was wearing on me too much. I stopped doing good in school. I really had no focus other than being at home. And um, so I moved out. And that was honestly kind of difficult just because I didn't talk to my parents for, like, roughly two or three years, like, consistently. I talked to them maybe once a week, and it just wasn't, wasn't normal. Um, I started coming here when I moved out when I was 14, and I started interning, and then I had, like, a little bit of normalcy, but then I'd go home, and I, I mean, I shared a room with a lot of other girls, because I lived with my cousins, and it was the best time of my life. It was insane, but it was so much fun. And so, I said you guys are so crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but, I mean, I love my family for that, and I wouldn't change that I've moved out because it has, like, brought me closer to my extended family. But eventually, I moved back in with my mom when my parents got divorced. Um, my mom would have been at home at that point with just my little brother because my other two siblings had moved out with me. And so I just was like, okay, my mom needs me. My siblings need me. It's time for me to just go back home. This is, I'm going to take on that position. My mom has to work, so I'm going to become their mom. Um, that was a lot. I started failing classes, and I almost quit the internship because I just didn't think I had time. I didn't have a license. Um, I hate relying on people, and I had to rely on people. Um, and so I moved in with my dad because I thought that would make everything better. It did not. I was there for a summer, and then I moved back in with my aunt. And then I stayed with my aunt for a little while. Tried moving in with my grandma, a cousin. I always ended up back at my aunt's house. Um, until, like, um, a couple months ago, I think, I moved back in with my mom. Yeah, right before quarantine started. Um, and I thought it was easy. I had the freedom that I wanted. I didn't have rules. I mean, the only curfew I had is, like, I had to be home sometime around midnight. That was about it. Um, I, my mom, curfew is 11, just so you know. Y'all should be home at 11. Yeah. I think past midnight's the devil's playground anyway, so. Yeah. I don't have a curfew. You don't have a curfew? Mom and dad just won't need the curfew. <laughs> no, I just feel like they just expect me to be home at a reasonable time, unless I tell them I'm spending the time. You know why Luke doesn't have a curfew? He's asleep by 9 o'clock p.m. anyway. <laughs> Sorry, we're digressing. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, I thought that I wanted that freedom. Um, I really don't. I'm very much, I mean, Yes, I was being able to go to Taco Bell at 1 o'clock in the morning. But that is about the only reason I like that freedom. Um, I thought my mom needed me at that point. And so I was just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just be practically my own mother. And I didn't realize exactly how moving into my mom's house was going to change me. I didn't realize the amount of walls that I had put up. Um, not only between 
and my parents not, like, I definitely did resent them for a lot, um, and just a lot of the, like, anxiety and, like, control problems that I have, and I didn't realize that it wasn't just with them. I had put up walls between everyone. It was me, and everything I didn't want people to see on one side of the wall. Every once in a while, I'd let my aunt in there when I was crying on her kitchen floor at 2 o'clock in the morning. But that's about it. Other than that, we didn't talk about it. The light was shining. Like, it's daytime. The world is great. And that's about it. And so I just, like, kept all of that inside the wall. And it's pretty difficult to have friends and to be able to, like, rely on people when you keep everyone outside of that wall. And it really just, that inside that wall fills up with so much that, like, I couldn't change. So I just kept it all there until it started filling up to where I had no choice but to deal with it. I had made it a point to not be the typical broken family girl. I wasn't going to be the girl that needed attention from guys. I could do everything on my own. I was completely independent. I didn't need a man. I, like, that's just how I wanted to be because I didn't want to be the complete opposite of that. So I pushed myself all the way the other direction, which left me with no one to rely on because I was supposed to be the strong one or I had convinced myself that. And so I kept everything that was broken inside of me close. I didn't, like, not even my pastors were allowed within that wall. Um, and I thought that, like, moving into my mom's would make it easy. I would be able to do whatever I want, keep everyone out of that wall. But then I realized that living in a house with people that you don't have a relationship with is really difficult. And so I had to let my mom back in a little bit. And I had to forgive her for a lot that I had put on her. And... I thought that it was going to be easy, but the Lord knew that it would be one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also something that I had to do. It made me realize that those walls were there, and I was forced to tear them down. I had to rebuild relationships with my siblings and my mom and, like, now my friends, my pastors, and it's honestly still a work, but I had to break them down. And I wanted people that were close to me were never actually close. And so I tried to fool everyone else, thinking I could handle it all, and I could take on more, don't worry about it, just leave it on me, I'll figure it out. And I could not, I ended up fooling myself into thinking I was that person. But honestly, the way that I had put all of that on myself, I didn't realize the way that that had affected the way that I looked at myself. I didn't get validation in my household from the people that I wanted, so I tried to get it from anybody else by being the, like their person. I needed to be needed, and I didn't want to deal with the hurt and the anxiety that came from not being able to rely on my parents and having to take all of my weight on myself. I didn't want my siblings to have to deal with that, so I took all their weight, and I just became the reliable person I needed and everyone else needed because I just thought that that would make my life better. But really, it only left me empty and falling apart with no one to take up the pieces because I had never let anyone close enough for that to happen. Uh, when I was focused on these walls and keeping everyone out of my space, I realized that uh, I couldn't see anything except for that box. And it's really difficult to see the world clearly when you're only looking at a brick wall. Like, if you ever try to take a picture and you're trying to focus on anything, if there's a wall in front of you, that's not going to happen. And when you're too close to that wall, you can't focus on that wall even. And so I was focused on that, and I that's pretty much all that I was thinking about until I, I think I had a relationship with Jesus at that point, to some degree. I mean, more of it was, like, outwards. I didn't really have a relationship inside. It was just, I came to church, I served everywhere that I possibly could, because then people would need me. Um, I looked like the perfect Christian. I had been an intern, I was leading teams, like, it looked perfect, but then really on the inside, I was completely falling apart and focused on anything but the Lord. And so when I began to see Jesus, and I saw the way that he looked at me, and the perception that he had that he loved me and that he wasn't going to leave me, that I could rely on him no matter what time of day it is, no matter whose house I'm living at, no matter where I am, what I've done, how much I've taken on myself, I can just say, okay, Lord, here, it's all yours. And he doesn't look at me different for it. He doesn't say, oh, well, you've disappointed me this time, so we'll see what happens next time. He just is always consistent, and that's really what I had been missing. And so when I began to focus on Jesus, I started to have a Jesus perspective. 
request you, and if it doesn't, there's probably a reason for it, and I would question it. But it takes me a lot to get close to people, and I, that's something that I'll have to work on like for the rest of my life, is there will always be a part of that, but that's what makes me who I am, is now I have this story, I have this testimony that I can use, and I get to tell all of you guys, and I, like, I believe that there are people in the room who needed to hear this, and who have a similar situation, maybe not as the exact same, but maybe it's just like in the sermon at Revival Week when, um, I don't remember who was preaching, but they said, go home. I think it was Pastor Steve. That hit me. Like, if I would have heard that before I moved into my mom's house, it it was been completely changed my life. And I had a conversation with Pastor Dave that got me to move back in with my mom. And he said, this is your time. This is your time with your siblings before you go to college. Like, you need to make your life as normal as possible and rebuild those relationships because that's what you'll have left. And I didn't have those relationships, but now that I do, I get to use this story and my testimony to help other people, and I have that Jesus perspective. So I see the world as something completely different. I see my family, my story, everything that has made me who I am um, as an opportunity to glorify the Lord. Most of the stuff that I said tonight, I have told a few people, but never like a whole story like this. And honestly, it was really, really scary. Well, Luke was sleeping at 9 o'clock last night, and I was up at 1 o'clock in the morning retyping all this because it just wasn't going to come together how I wanted it to, and I was sure that I was going to do everything wrong. But uh, I realized that it's the Lord's glory. Like, He's going to say what He wants to say through me, and I might just be the mouthpiece for it. Like, it just one thing I say might change someone in here and that makes it all worth it. And so I look at like the whole world like that now is everything that I do this um, the school that I was in, I did not like school. I was not a fan but still every single day that I went to that school was an opportunity for me to change someone in there. And even if it's just like a little seed or I could just encourage them or just say, hey I like your shirt. Like that can completely change someone's life and you don't even realize it then. But it's something that people will remember for years that we may never see. And so that's just, like, how I look at the world now. I, instead of changing where I was and who I am, I have the Jesus perspective now, which has given me a new outlook, a new perception, and I can see who I am and where I am for His glory. That's awesome. I think uh, something you said that really hit me was you were talking about how you were serving everywhere find it so interesting that we can do the right thing for the complete wrong reason. That you were doing all the right things, you were serving, you were helping people, but it was really behind the mask as you described a wall the entire time. I think that's for somebody in the room that there's a lot of things that you're doing just because it looks right doesn't mean that it is necessarily right. Doing things because you think it's what the world expects of you, or your parents expect of you, or pastor expects of you. That's just not going to cut it for the rest of your life. Maybe it'll make it work for a number of years. Maybe it'll make it work throughout high school. But eventually you get to my age. Believe me, you think for yourself. I don't want to build a family. A lot of people want to do right on their own. But if you haven't built a confidence in your walk with God that you know who you are in Christ and, and all of that, you will find yourself not just slightly pulling away certain people that you have the like you will find yourself building like a fortress around yourself. I'm gonna do what I want to do and do it how I want to do it and want to stay out. What I've found is uh, maybe for some of the parents listening or if you're listening online or maybe maybe for some of you let me just give you a quick tip. Um, when we're talking a little bit about family and I want to give you a quick tip tip when you're talking about building perspective and perception. Um, my Dad especially took the scripture that Joshua said in the Old Testament, from me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That meant we were going to church whether we liked it or not. That meant that we were going to be a family that we honored the Lord. Not just like we prayed before bed and we prayed before dinner, but everything about our life was going to be honoring to the Lord. If there were times in my life that didn't honor the Lord, which there were, I was corrected, I was disciplined, I was rebuked according to scripture, and I was taught to honor the Lord. What you will find, I'm 
telling you this to, to show you ahead of time what you need to do. It can't just be by what you say, but it's either and a story. It has to be by also your actions. You can't say honor the Lord and then as uh, a married couple you get divorced and you hate each other. That doesn't honor the Lord. But in your actions, through what you say, through your example, as you teach your kids, I want to come off of her story because some of you need to catch this. As you teach your kids to honor the Lord, let me tell you what happened in my life. I didn't, I stopped doing it because I had to, and I started doing it because I wanted to. I didn't go to church because it was, my, I have to, because my dad's a pastor. You know how many pastors' kids I knew growing up, they were sleeping around in church, getting drunk on Saturday, going to church on Sunday. I honored the Lord in my life because I learned to develop a personal relationship with the Lord. Here's what's interesting now. This is, I'm giving Anna like a little tip on stage here because she's kind of like herself vulnerable. Is now in my life, I choose to place myself because I've developed something personal with the Lord. I place myself in the hands of people. Meaning, I will go to my dad and I'll say, what does wisdom need to be doing on this? See, most people when they get in their 30s, 40s, whatever it is, they stop asking for advice. They stop asking for wisdom. Especially in your 20s, you'll find that some of you, how many are you in your 20s in the room? You're in your 20s. Okay, so quite a number of you. What happens, especially when you get in your 20s, is you think for some reason at the age of 20-whatever that you have it all figured out. You think you just know exactly what to do now. You don't think you need anybody really pouring into your life. And the next thing you know, you might not even need to, but you built that brick wall around you like Anna's talking about. And you might not have intentionally done it to isolate yourself from people, but you did it maybe unintentionally thinking that you just know how to do things best. And here's Anna, what, you were 17 or whatever, essentially, trying to follow the pieces of your life together. You didn't know best what you thought you knew. But look at now, she said, this just caught me. She said, for the rest of my life, I know I have, will have to work through this. Can I tell you how real that is right there? That the habits and the things that you trigger at this age, they will be the demons you fight for the rest of your life. And you need to recognize that you're either going to build a foundation, build some brick, let it be the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Because that's for you to stand upon, not to build around you. We're, we're, we're called to demolish strongholds. Like, I want to be like Joshua, where I shout for you to give me the city. I see all the walls of Jericho fall down, not build up. But what happens, whether you are 13 or whether you are 32, if, if you don't learn at a, at a young age how to have a healthy conception of the things of God, perspective of the things of God. Because some of you would say, you know, I haven't had parents in front of me that haven't taught that to me. It's okay. God wants to give you spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers that will teach that to you. And one day, can I tell you, you get to teach it to your kids, and even better, you get to be the spiritual mothers and fathers to the up-and-coming generation. Generation Alpha is what they're calling it right now, that is the Linda and Anna generation. I want, I want this generation to help me spiritual mothers and fathers. Because Aaron, Pastor Steve would say this about Anna. It starts right now. And I love this with Anna's story. Because throughout the process, this was really your perspective being rerouted based upon your perspective in life. I think you could speak to this because I think you were the one of the group that could speak most when we were talking earlier about perception. Really about having a healthy perception of not only the world, but closer to the chest, you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of people, based upon how they look in the mirror, based upon how they look at the world, based upon that perception, is a lot of how they're going to build their perspective and how they see things. They're going what they see to what they, what they feel and what they think. Um, take us through your journey a little bit. Take a breath, because this is the first time you ever told this, and only a few people know about this. Something I'd, I just really ask to um, is when, when these three are done tonight, I've done this enough, I know the attacks of the enemy that will be upon them come tomorrow. So, first I just ask, would you pray for them while they're speaking right now, would you pray for them come tomorrow? But more than that, would you just treat so sensitively what they have to say? Because they're opening up their heart to you. And the Bible talks about how we overcome by the blood of the Lamb word of our testimony, meaning what Jesus did on the cross, and what we have to say about what he's done in us, we overcome. And these are some overcomers up here. I believe that what they have to say tonight is going to help you overcome. Um, but I know that this, there's the heat. 
So give it up for Jen. She's going to share tonight. I'm going to be speaking into the thought of perception, which is your impression um, of things around you. And it, it all starts with what you're taking in and what you're letting in. You can either let the Lord in and give you the right perception, because that's the only way you can have it, or you can let the lies of the devil or your own thoughts cultivate within you. So um, the, the best thing about like, life is that your testimony never stops. You can always you can always say this is my testimony today, tomorrow, yesterday. Um, and recently, uh, like December around December time, my perception of myself um, because your perception of yourself leads to other people. My perception of myself was not very good. Um, I was I was kind of locked in a place, and I would treat other people, uh, I was angry at myself, I, I didn't like disappointing other people, I didn't um, like making mistakes, I liked having control, and I liked doing things on my own, like it was destiny's way or the highway, nobody could help me, and therefore that would make me push people away, or I would be angry with someone, and there was no reason for me to be angry at all, um, and that turned into not only a spiritual battle that I had to deal with, um, but a mental battle. And I've been, I was dealing with depression longer than I would admit because um, depression is a form of pride. And I was, I was very prideful and that rooted with anger. Um, and as that continued to build up and my perception of myself kept building up in negative ways, I kept letting uh, those different things in, like what the devil was saying to me, or what I would create in my head. I would make a mistake, and people would say I'd forgive me, but they would forgive me, but I wouldn't want to forgive myself. And eventually, um, that all built up one day, and I <laughs> and I went to I went to my bathroom, and I took a bunch of pills. Perception was 
get over it because it was something big and it happened and I and it seemed to be done. But fortunately, as life goes, the Lord says I'm not done yet, and I um, continued. I t- continued to go on, and I, I I tried to move past it. And but I was like, Lord, I just want to be over this. And He's like, I want you to. I, I was sitting with Him one day, and I was like, Lord, I just want to be done with this. I want to be free. And whatever, and he's like, Jessica, listen, just quietly. I want you to ask me where you want, where I want you to be in this season. And I was like, okay. Like, I knew, I knew I was, I knew I was called to full-time ministry. And I was like, I can't move on if I have this. And, um, so, like, my perception started to change from me just trying to move on to saying, Lord, like, what do you want me to do? And then I would go on forth to Revival Week, and that Monday, they were talking about laying everything down, and I did the thing that I never thought I would do, is I, instead of praying in my head, Lord, please release me of depression, because I don't like saying it out loud, I didn't like being vulnerable, I didn't like letting people in, it's like, and I built up those walls, and that made life so much harder for me, because I didn't tell people what I was thinking or what I was feeling, and then that led me to do the thing that I did. And so I was I was praying, and they were like, lay it all down, like, you need to lay it down. And then I did the thing, the Lord gave me the word, and it was it was resilience. And I didn't know what that meant, um, so I looked it up, and it said, to be able to overcome. And because I had, I had prayed all the things that I wanted, I was like, I prayed out loud, instead of praying it in my head. I prayed out loud to the Lord, and I was like, Lord, I want to be free of depression. I don't want to have a spirit of rebellion. I didn't want all of that. And once I did that out loud, and he gave me that word after that, resilience means to overcome. And in the definition, when I looked it up, it specifically said depression. Like, in the definition, it specifically said to be able to overcome da-da-da-da-da depression. And I was like, I instantly started crying. And I don't I don't like to cry often. I cried up here, but that's because it's so impactful. The Lord's amazing. And I began to cry, and I was like, wow, I felt a weight and I was like, this is insane. So I like started praising the Lord. But later in that week, um, they they had they had people pray. They had prayer teams up here, and they had people pray over mental illnesses and different things. And I was like, well, and the Lord was like, I I freed you of it, but in order for you to totally get over it, you need to have some accountability first. Um, and like having accountability around you, it's so so good, especially with with mental things, because I'm I'm a verbal processor, but I never would want to verbally process because just like Anna, I felt like I needed to be strong for everyone, and you don't you don't need to be. And so um, I went up to the prayer team, I told them everything, and then I finally felt that final release of that. And um, okay, Second Corinthians three sixteen through eighteen it says. But the moment the one turns to the Lord with an open heart, and the veil is lifted, and they see, now the Lord, I'm referring to as the Holy Spirit, and wherever he is, Lord, there's freedom. Freedom, that's why I wore the shirt today. Um, and wherever he is, there's freedom, and we'll draw close to him, and the veils will move for our faces, and with no veil will become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of Jesus. And I used to be, I used to be so dark, and I want to admit where I was at, because I wanted to be strong for everyone. And then, when I finally opened up to the Lord, I admitted everything I was doing, and I fully surrendered to the Lord, I was I was able to overcome that. And, like, when it's saying, taking off that veil, I took off depression that day. And that was, that was awesome. And now I'm wearing freedom. And now, and now I'm shining bright. And now I'm reflecting Jesus. And, and so I, I took that depression off, and now I'm reflecting Jesus, and I'm that light, and I'm not dark anymore. And um, something, something I, I always like to have little mementos from when the Lord does something. This, I don't know why I kept this. This is my hospital band. Um, I know, I, I, it's so weird. I say things, and I took it off. And I put it in my drawer, and I never took it out again. And then when that happened, I took this, 
in my Bible, and I was like, this will be a remembrance from when my perception was changed from myself, from my pride, to when it was changed to Jesus. Jesus. 
are one of the same. You are so interconnected. You are the image of God. And I know, Luke, you can probably speak a little bit to the Odessa story because it's so interesting because when your brother first brought you, <laughs> he'd sit me down and he'd be like, dude, my brother Luke is so screwed up, he needs Jesus so bad. And I remember, uh, I remember meeting you, Luke, you didn't care to meet me at all. You thought you were so cool. You still think that now, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let you share, but just to encourage you as you start, man, I know you're not perfect. You have a lot of flaws. I constantly tell you about them. But man, I see Jesus in you. And man, I see Jesus in Jesus. And I think just, uh, just as you know, share your heart, take your time, but just think as you begin to talk about that perspective, aligning with that perception. Uh, I just want to encourage you, man, I see Jesus in you. And I know it's because you probably chose to look at him. You already hear from Luke.
school and to everyone else around me. There's a, a scripture that I really like. It's Hebrews 12, 2. It says, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us towards faith perfection. If you guys can help me out, what's this year's vision for 2020? Oh, they you. To see Jesus and to see like him, but check this out. Seeing Jesus comes before seeing like him. You cannot you cannot see like Jesus unless you first see him. In Second Corinthians three eighteen, which she kind of touched on earlier, this is the end part. It says, We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil we all become like mirrors to brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. And we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Check this out. As we see Jesus, seeing him and coming close to him is what makes us become like mirrors who really reflect the glory of the Lord. And check this out. As we see Jesus, we will become transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. Here's my key thought. Perception has to come before perspective. And what I mean by that is that perception of Jesus gives a Jesus perspective and allows us to perceive other people and to see like Jesus. Maintaining a relationship with Jesus and keeping that every single day is what's going to really make an impact in your life. It's he molds us into the secret place. And if we become his very children and we obey his will, our identity comes from the secret place when we're all alone with Jesus. And the thing is, though, God made us in a really special way. Like how we need fresh food every single day. We hunger for it. God made us the same way. If we go without food for one day, we begin seeing changes in us. And we don't act normal. And then we start dying slowly and slowly, but with food, it takes a lot longer. But with Jesus, though, that's why he said, give us today our daily bread. We need to be fed every single day. And that's when we perceive Jesus every single day. That allows us to walk out of Jesus' perspective and walk in the right perspective we need as Christ followers to live out every single day. Guys, I'm telling you, maintain a relationship with Jesus is the best thing you ever do in your life. And you'll find that as more you do it, the more enjoyable it comes, that your desires start changing. It's the, the presence of Jesus, which makes it so that we want to spend time with Jesus. And we just begin forsaking the things of the world and start pursuing after Jesus. When Jesus said, come to me, and I'll give you living water, and you will never thirst again, what Jesus means is, come to me and drink this living water so you won't thirst from the things of the world anymore. Once you taste Jesus, you don't thirst for sin anymore. Because you realize the presence of Jesus is what your soul was made for in the first place. So, some of you in this room, this may be, some of you feel like you've been slacking lately. And some of you feel like you've been very distracted with your relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's because you are have your money, have, have your focus focused on money. Or if you're pursuing a relationship and that girl or that guy has stolen your focus, guys, I'm telling you, no one will love you more than Jesus anyways. No amount of money will fulfill you anyways. There's like a, an example of, I think it's the CEO of Amazon. With all the money in the world he wants, still get divorced from his wife and nothing can satisfy him. I'm telling you, we were made for Jesus and Jesus alone. Are you distracted because of your future or calling? Your future or calling is in defining your identity, the Word of God, and what Jesus says about you is. Are, some people are focused more on miracles and revival rather than the God of miracles and the God of revival. Guys, get your focus on Jesus, not on the things of Jesus. Jesus himself is what makes and satisfies us, not what he does. Yet what he does is just as important. Get to know the Savior, and 
get the delivery from your addictions, from your lust. He cares so much about us that he is, he's, he's our father. And like how a father loves a wayward son who's off doing things. The father just loves him just as much, yet when he's living in sin. So, here's my closing Bible verse. It's Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus wants a relationship with you so badly. Yeah, you just have to let him in. Jesus is knocking, guys. Let him in.
got all these things and you just feel like you're just kind of building this wall around you. But you're saying tonight, like, I want to tear that thing down. I'm sick of blurry vision because I can only see a foot in front of me in the wall. I'm sick of seeing things I'm literally tear that wall down. If that's you, would you put your hand up in the room here at that wall that you need to tear down?